Uh, here's the deal, this is my family and we are a bunch of landscapers, and more importantly, we're a band. We are mulch, sweat, and shears! I christen thee Disney fantasy. May God bless this ship and all who sail on her. You are about to discover what lies beyond the fifth dimension, beyond the deepest, darkest corner of the imagination. You know, somehow Disney fantasy seems a little more alive at night. In fact, it was Walt's favorite time at the park. On with the show! WDW Radio, your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 686, and together, as we have for the past 17 years, we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, Marvel, Star Wars, and more here on the podcast, my weekly live video, special events, blog, and more. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, join the community, and find everything else at www.radio.com. Former Imagineer, Vice President, and Portfolio Creative Executive for Disney Cruise Line, Theron Skies joins me again this week to discuss the concept, design, imagineering, and creation of the Disney Wish. From idea to execution, we look at the process of bringing the ship to life and virtually tour the Wish, looking at the why, how, and stories of the many amazing places and spaces. Then stay tuned for our Disney Trivia Question of the Week, where this week you can enter to win a prize package that includes something from the Disney Wish as well as more updates at the end of the show. And if you like what you hear, please share the show and tell a friend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Just a quick note before we get started, I wanted to apologize for the quality of my audio. I didn't realize there was an issue with my microphone settings before I started recording with Theron. So as you'll hear, my microphone audio quality is not to the standard that it should be. So I apologize for that. Appreciate your understanding and patience. Here we go. Back in 1995, Disney Cruise Line, when it began, literally changed the industry. And with the launch of their first ship, the big red boat was actually chartered from Premier Cruise Line. But with the launch of the Disney Magic in 1998, experiences at sea would never be the same again. And 24 years later, Disney has introduced the fifth and largest ship in the Disney fleet, the Disney Wish. And while in some ways a slight departure from previous vessels, the wish retains and enhances, or should I say enchants, what makes Disney Cruise Line unique and special. And I have literally just returned from the christening and the maiden voyages on the wish, and I'm preparing to host the first of two WW Radio group cruises on her, the next one in like just a few days. And while I'm going to have a full review of the ship and experiences from stem to stern after our cruise, I wanted to bring on somebody to talk about the ship itself from concept to construction. And so I want to welcome back former Walt Disney Imagineer Theron Skies, who, among many roles he held in the Walt Disney Company 
was Vice President and Portfolio Creative Executive for Disney Cruise Line. You may remember Theron from show 648. I said at that time we had a lot more to talk about. I wasn't kidding. So Theron, welcome back. Here we are. Nice to be back. Thanks for the invitation, Lou. It, uh, it is great to see you, and timing is everything, because I know when we talked, we sort of glossed over your time at Disney Cruise Line. I said, we need to put a pin on this and and come back to it. So talk to me a little bit, just in, in sort of broad strokes, um, what the vice president portfolio creative executive does in terms of <laughs> overseeing the fleet of the ships and the wish and uh, I'm sure Castaway, et cetera. Absolutely. It's such a big title. Uh, the business cards was like a clipboard size. So, you know, it was, it was hard to carry that around. But uh, no, the role was, was literally, um, think of it as the creative partner for the, for the cruise line, the, you know, the president of the cruise line, all those operational leaders. And um, that executive role, uh, senior executive role from Imagineering was literally meant to be kind of that, that creative partner that helps to bring to life um, everything that's needed to really drive the business. So you're right. Uh, the first thing I did when I uh, took the role and, and got integrated into the team was we jumped right into my very first dry dock, which was the Disney Wonder. And wow, what a baptism by fire that was learning how uh, a dry dock works. I've had plenty of experience on, of course, land-based projects, hotels, attractions, parks, um, you know, all of that kind of work, RD&E. But um, moving into the nautical world was a completely different animal. And um, so that was fantastic. So, of course, dry docks on the whole fleet, uh, the four ships, and we did one of those about every year. And as you know from Disney and anybody that's a fan of cruising with the Disney Cruise Line knows that uh, they'd really try to change up those environments frequently. So with with regard to the dry docks, we were quite busy. And I will say as a quick aside, I love each of the ships for a different reason. And it's funny that you mentioned that your your baptism was on the Wonder, which may very well it depends your favorite ship is the one you're on right but it, it may <laughs> may very well be my favorite of all the ships i love the size i love i love what happened mm. with the reimagining of tiana's and that french quarter promenade lounge may be mm-hmm. like my favorite place on board any of the ships i'm so glad you said that that, that was it was such a blast it, it was you know at that time leadership at the Disney Cruise Line was changing um uh between Carl Holtz and, and Anthony was coming in and and there was a there was a genuine uh desire to uh we began thinking about the the ships differently than they were originally conceived. Whereas if you look at the the classic ships, the magic and the wonder, they were designed uh magic is art deco, the wonder is art nouveau. And to a discerning eye, you would be able to tell the difference. But if you're just, you know, your average Disney fan, your average guest, you may not pick that up. And then the fantasy and the dream, there are subtle differences between the design motifs, but they're very, very similar. So at that particular time in the company's history, when I first came on board, there was a desire to differentiate those experiences. Instead of having Tiana's on all the ships, you know, we said, well, what if we just did a unique dining uh, entertainment experience? What if we did unique uh, design motifs? What if we did uniquenesses on each ship, just like our theme parks? And 
it would give guests more of a reason to individualize their their cruise journey. It would be not just the 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 destinations that a particular vessel would sail, but it could be some of the unique entertainment experiences, content, et cetera, that you could get on board. So it was really fun to be a part of the uh, the, the business at that time because we were dreaming of all these unique um, elements that would help differentiate uh, each of the vessels. It's interesting you say that, you know, sort of taking a, a step back in a 30,000-foot view. I remember that before I first cruised many, many, many years ago, I was always curious as to how and then amazed to see how they take that theme park feeling. There's no other way to describe it. There's sort of that feeling of the theme parks without attractions and co I mean, now there's attractions at sea, but and <laughs> bring it to sea. And and admittedly, I was almost a little like, I'm not sure how they're gonna do this. This is now about 20 cruises ago, so that tells you something. <laughs> What's what's fascinating about from from a an experienced creator's perspective, the the transition that I made. This is just was my journey. Others may may have a different uh, uh, process, a different story. But co- going from theme park work, where y- you have this massive environment, and and much of the environment is outdoors. And much of the environment you're trying to connect. If you think of a traditional Magic Kingdom park, whether that's Hong Kong or or uh, Disneyland, you know, or or even uh, Disneyland Paris, those are primarily outdoor venues that have landscaping and softscaping and all these different things that tie together that 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 visual experience. When you when and then of course you've got the shows, you've got the attractions, you have the rides, you have everything that all comes together, and it's about seamlessly stitching all of those various elements together. But on a ship, you have primarily interior experiences, and you're you're working to deliver not just in a horizontal plane. So each deck, if you would think of that, is a horizontal plane, but you have to also have to think in terms of verticality, right? Because the 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 content that's above you on a floor is really important. It's not just randomly placed there. So that was a level of to to coin a um uh, to, to, to show my nerd status, it's like 3D chess, right, in Star Trek. You're constantly thinking in all of these different dimensions because your guests are circulating in that way, up and down and, and across. And uh, and I found that a really fun challenge to invent um, environments in and to how do you create experiences in that way that kind of leverage all that movement. It's funny you say that because whenever I – visit a park or, or see a new Disney attraction, I, I sort of I, I peel back the layers of the other night and I look at it from a lot of different perspectives, one of which is is sort of the processes that, that come together to put it. And when I look at the ship, especially with the wish, it's it's it has to be different than doing a dry dock, for example, because now you're really probably doing this entire general arrangement with plans and sections and elevations and you have to lay out all these deck plans for not just the the wish but these three new triton class ships in the fleet which is the wish and the two that are to follow correct that's right Uh, that's right one i i kind of described it this way see if this resonates with your audience when you're doing a project on on land you're you know your standard sort of theme park project i'll use um 
I'll use not a theme park project, a Disney Springs, for example. We had offices uh, for uh, you know our all the Disney employees, Imagineers, all of the contractors, and it was on site. It was actually right behind Cirque du Soleil. So all of the work that we did there, all of the you know the suppliers, the builders, the contractors, the cranes, everything was there. You just walk out or ride your Segway to the site, and you were there. Um, and and it's it's very different. You have the land. Sometimes you have to clear the land. You you go through a design process. Once you're done with the design, you procure the materials and you start building. Right, building a ship is is really much more like ordering a car. Right, if you if you get Mercedes or Tesla, you know, fill in the your car of choice there, and you do an order, you're picking the seats, you're picking the engine, the motor type, the wheels, you know, all these different options. And in a sense, ordering a ship is like that. Um, you you have a window of time that the shipyard has available to construct a ship of a certain size and class and complexity, and you're basically buying that that slot. And and you when you're when you're designing, it's not exactly like sky is the limit. Um, you're you're working within because it's a it's a vehicle, it's a vessel, it's moving, right? It has to be safe and it has to have engines and it has to generate its own power. It has to filter water. You know, the ship has to do that. It goes from point A to point B safely, but it's also a hotel because people, you know, it's got a lodging component on it. People sleep. Um, it's got dining component, a retail component, entertainment component. Um, it's got all of the elements that make it a unique Disney experience. So it, it's it's very different uh, than, than theme park work, than, than your, you know, I, I really realized how, and I, I say this bashing myself, tongue in cheek, how lazy I was, right? Because I just, you know, I mean, of course I walked, you know, a million steps a day at Disney Springs, but you just literally walk over and you see a sample or you see progress that the carpenters made that day. That's it. For the ship, you have to fly nine hours, eight hours to Amsterdam, land, jump in a car and drive another, what, two and three quarters hours uh, to Poppenburg. Um, and all of that before 8 a.m. so that you can start your meetings. I mean, it's a big deal. Uh, and then your your design companies are all over the world. We have Sweden and Norway and the U.K. So it, it adds a level of complexity that you you kind of don't really think about until you start really considering everything. It's so funny because as you're talking, I, I think, and I know this is like the stupidest nerdy thing in the world, but when I when I go into something like a new ship or a new hotel – I look at it from the the macro and the micro, and I go, God, they had to order like three thousand toilet seats for like these silly things. Or how many spoons they need to order? Because I can't imagine from a micro level just how many moving parts and pieces and and puzzles there are. But I have to assume too, there's 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 lots of components, right? That are all sort of plates are spinning all at the same time. But as is true with anything in in disney right story is is what drives it talk to me a little bit about the the story and the concept of enchantment and you sort of earlier mentioned this what the classic ships and the dream class ships have not just in terms of design but storytelling and how do you also keep with that tenant of what disney cruise line has always had which was embracing this golden age of cruise travel that really was sort of the, the hallmark of the brand itself. 
That's a great question. You know, that was, I think, one of the bigger um, challenges, but also the most fun working on the three new ships. And that was, you know, we at that point, the Disney Cruise Line already had 20 years of successful impact on the industry. And we spent a lot of time up front really asking ourselves the question, how do we top ourselves uh, how do we introduce some some very new things to the industry, and how do we deliver Disney, quote unquote, in a way that maybe we we haven't done before? You know, how do we innovate on ourselves? And and those are fabulous questions for any organization, especially one the size of the Disney Company, to ask because it it keeps you from becoming stale. It keeps you from just using the same ideas that you had before. Now I think when you get an opportunity, and I'm talking to your audience now, to sail on the Wish or any of the new ships, um, I think you'll really immediately tell those areas that we innovated. Because there's some innovations, I think, from the industry standpoint. Then there's some innovations, and this is where the fans will really catch it, innovations on Disney Cruise Line itself. Some of the things that we did, we improved circulation. We we added a lot more storytelling, a lot more detail. We were very on point about very deeply immersive spaces and um, uh, even business partnerships that we created with different retailers and everything. It, it's it's a we've done a lot more there, and and I think I know that the result is a much richer, deeper, broader, more beautiful experience. So that was that's sort of the contextual statement to dive into what you said, uh, Lou. Was it was. Um, as I mentioned before, this period of Disney Cruise Line where we were really thinking, let's move into much more unique experiences. Um, definitely doing that for the cruise line, uh, for the new ships. But then how do we go back and through our dry dock strategy and begin to retrofit uh, through through um, uh, a dry dock strategy on the existing fleet? And then we also began to play with that with the island, of, of course, Castaway. And then um, I believe it's already been announced, uh, Lighthouse Point was uh, was purchased. And how do we drive differentiation between those two as well? So that that's kind of where we leaned into. And we naturally, uh, when you look at, if you remember correctly, if you go back in the Wayback Machine, it was originally announced that there was only two new ships. Mm-hmm. So after I came on board, it was a ding, ding, ding. Tell him what he's won, Johnny. It's a third ship. And we, you know, we don't really get to change your schedule. <laughs> uh, so, so when we had the, the, the three ships, we really kind of looked at what are the big, big genres that are found within Disney storytelling? And how could we represent three genres that really encapsulate uh, the broadest possible range of stories and characters and uh, and i think when all three ships are out you'll you'll see uh our approach to that and 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 hopefully people will love it and it's it has to be interesting too because there there's this delicate balance i have to imagine that has to take place in it's very high level balancing the the business requirements of the ship with the story requirements or, or desires as well as guest experience requirements as well. And sometimes it might sound like they all fit together together very nicely, but I have to imagine there's also times that there may be, um, it's a challenge to integrate them all together seamlessly. I believe that that's a challenge um, 
in our industry, and I'll make a big air quotes on that. And when you're talking about the narrative um, experience design world or themed entertainment design world, you know, whether it's retail, dining, entertainment, cruise lines, adventures by Disney, a hotel experience, a theme park, it, it, it always is this, this balance. On one end of the scale, it's a business, right? And, and uh, especially us creatives, uh, I'll raise my hand, we creatives, we have to remember we're, what we're doing is for a business. We, we can't get confused by the fact that, oh, it's an attraction. It's $200 million. Whoa, this is my private art fund. <laughs> you know, we, we, can't, we can't move into that because that doesn't move the business needle forward. So I, I think that it's very important to be creative, innovative, groundbreaking, you know, driving story. Um, you know, as experienced designers, we're constantly thinking about the guests uh, we're thinking about taking our guests on an emotional journey. Uh, we're, we're thinking about we're, we're creating a product, and that product is an experience. And we're, that experience has a lot to do with the brand. In this case, it's, of course, a Disney brand. And, and I'm always thinking, well, how do I connect these audience members to this brand in an emotionally story-driven way? And that's different than... Um, uh, you know, a designer who designs automobiles or or appliances, right? You don't have to make an emotional connection necessarily with that. The new model of toaster, you, you don't, you know, you design it so that it's affordable. It it breaks at a certain time, so you buy more. That That's what you think about. As an experienced designer, I'm making that connection. We're making that connection so that those guests will come back over and over and over again. And it has to be functional. If it's a beautiful space, but you can't get your food on time because the kitchen was undersized or there's uh, only one wait station in the restaurant and it's piled up with dishes because they just can't get to it. You know, those things begin to diminish the experience and diminish the brand. So it, it is truly a, a you, we always seek for, for that balance to the best ability we can. Well, and Disney's look, Disney is, is, is built on not just creating um, emotional experiences and memories, but wow moments. And, and on the wish, there are many, especially if you have cruised before and you alluded to the fact that Disney is, is a company that is always innovating. And you had 10 years, right? Nearly a decade since the launch of the last ship, which was the fantasy. You not only must have learned a great deal in that time, but you also were given the gift or challenge of about 14,000 extra gross tonnage to work with over the dream class. Talk to me a bit, little bit about taking some of those lessons, having that additional space, and also the, the thought process of how do you approach copying, sort of replicating that same general layout of the other ships, which... Are, are very beloved. You know, if you want to make Disney fans go crazy on Twitter, change something versus <laughs> integrating some of those things that you think will enhance that guest experience and storytelling. Yes, yes. Well, um, let me uh, ask you before I answer about some ground rules because I I don't – some people love spoilers and some <laughs> people really hate spoilers. So I, I don't want to mention anything that, that might drive somebody – uh, one of your audience members nuts. Oh, I wish you didn't tell me that. So let me ask you that first. What, what's your thought or rules on that? You know, that? it's funny because I'm I, <clears throat> I am the and I, a different. It's 
<laughs> it's, it's so hard. You can't answer everybody. Like, so I'm the kind of person no. like, ah, don't tell me anything. I want to see with my own eyes. I want to walk in the door and experience it for myself, which for me, that works. Other people. And look, we as Disney fans for years have been programmed like, all right, 10 years ago, you sat down with your spreadsheet. You mapped it all out. We need to know where we want to eat and what we're going to eat like six right, months right. in advance. So we'll give a little bit of a spoiler okay. alert. I don't think – you probably won't give too much. I won't get specific. Yeah, well, nothing too spoilery away um, <laughs> because, listen, no matter how much you think you know about the Wish if you've cruised before, part of the fun is walking in there and not yeah. knowing where anything is and spending yeah, yeah. some time finding your way. That's right. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, thanks for that. I just I wanted to be respectful of your audience members and didn't want to get a bunch of hate mail myself. So, um, uh, with regards to, I'll give you a couple of examples. So, you know, when it's really, I, I think what's difficult about <clears throat> one of the difficult things about being in Imagineering specifically, or in some kind of creative product um, generation, new product generation portion of the Disney company, is that. Typically, they do it really, really well. Typically, most all those divisions, film division, you know, publishing, et cetera, they're 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 killing it every time they're releasing new things, and they're 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 you know kind of genre busting, creating new things and innovating. And it's the, it's the same with the with Disney Cruise Line. I mean, fantasy really uh, set the bar high in the industry. And, and after then, you saw lots and lots of different vessels for different companies that, that took learnings from fantasy and then applied it. So uh, improving on yourself is a challenge sometimes. So here, here's a couple of examples of, quote, improvements that we made that, um, that were specific to our Disney Cruise Line guests. And one of those is when you start thinking about um, – the, the type of experience that you have in the cruise line, for example, when you book your cruise, you get, you know, uh, your early dinner time, right, for example. And Disney does rotational dining. No other cruise line does it. They tried it. They failed. You know, Disney Cruise Line does it, and they pioneered it, and they manage it. Fantastic. So if you have that early seating, you go to dinner, um, and then after that time, what do you do? You go to the show. Um, and then, of course, the rest of the ship does the opposite, where they're going to the show, the first seating, and they're going to a, quote, later dinner. And this established for us, uh, op the operations team and the design team, this established a pattern, right? So you, we knew what guests uh, liked to do. Um, they like to eat as families, so families come together. Um, sometimes those families like to go to shows together. But after the shows, typically the families would split up. The kids are like, turn me loose. I want to go back and be a Marvel superhero. And parents are like, great. We want to, <clears throat> we want to go have a drink in the lounge. We want to go, you know, play a game. We, you know, and that's kind of what happens. So thinking about the normal habits and behaviors of the guests based on the operational cycle that we've already put together, we realize we need to make dining, uh, the, um, theater, and the children's zones, very, very, very easy to get to. So that's why you, you'll you see that we, where we place the children's zone is in a very, very different place on any of all the four ships. You can get to it very rapidly. Um, kids can check themselves in with their, with their little bracelets. There's really fun ways to access it. And then um, the deck above that is where all of the adult sort of content is. And in a sense, it's kind of like the RD&E. So just outside the theater on both levels, 
Um, you can come out your kids, boop, right down to programming. And right there is all of the things that the adults would pretty much be interested in. So that, that's just one simple example of how to take normal patterns that we know our guests love to do and make it easier, remove even more friction. Yeah. And it's it's funny because if you come from the other ships, again, we're used to things being where, quote unquote, they are supposed to be. <laughs> you're right. And you come in here and you're like, wait a minute, there's no district. There is no sort of, and this is the wrong word, but there is no sort of like this invisible barrier between where the adults go at night and where kids and families go. It very much blends and, and flows. And I think that's sort of the word that kept on coming into my mind was, the flow is very different, and I understand the logic behind creating, mm -hmm. putting the bayou where it is, putting Luna right where it is, sort of bleeding out into keg and compass and tritons where adults can go, families can go, depending on the flow of the day and the evening. Yes, and, and the, uh, what I one thing that I really really love that 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 we did was that the the kids zone is actually attached to the only the two elevators, right? Um, so anywhere on the ship, you could be on deck 14 with your kids uh, and you, know, you just finished up in the, um, uh, the, the VIP section or whatever, or you're swimming by the pool. Everybody can pop in the elevator and you could head straight down to the kids zone right there. If you're on the aft elevator, you can do the exact same thing. So I think that level of convenience and really considering circulation, super, super, super important. You know, you mentioned the adult areas, and one of the things that we came to realize is that doesn't necessarily have to be centralized, mm -hmm. as you see in the other ships. And to the point, even on on the, the magic and the uh, I'm sorry, on the fantasy and the dream, on that forward area, you've got an you've got the that that forward elevator where families can come out on that deck, and you've got children and whole families walking through the adult only area. And not that a lot of people complained, but some guests were kind of like, hey, look, this is, this is kind of like our time. So we, we took that to heart and we put the adult zone um, a completely different place all the way aft and all the way up. So they had amazing views. They felt very, very special. And in a sense, they kind of felt like I'm behind two or three doors. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got my time now. <laughs> Yeah, and it's and gosh, I mean, there's so much. Let's quickly go back to the kids because my kids are unfortunately and unfortunately, they, I think it's actually unfortunately too <laughs> old to enjoy the kids clubs. They we had a chance to go through on the christening and and again during some of the open houses and this, I think, brilliant design to not only consolidate the areas on deck two. But have these multiple storytelling themed areas that I think will appeal to anyone of any age, actually. Marvel, Star Wars, Fairytale Hall, the Mickey and Minnie's Captain Deck, the Small World Nursery, and the Imagineering Lab. Like, every adult <laughs> wow. wants to be in there to <laughs> yeah. play in these labs. And what, what I found was so smart about the spaces is that they are smart spaces, meaning... It's not just a place to come in, play, play a video game and consume, but also places that they can use their imagination, that they can learn, they can create, they can be inspired as well. Absolutely. I'm really glad that you pointed that uh, the, the, the kids space out uh, because one of the things, feedback that we got from not just the cruise line, but verbatim from guests, 
by the way, as a, as a design team, we went through pages and pages of guest verbatims feedback um, that was consolidated because the, the, the guest feedback is what pr- provides our greatest um, design criteria as Imagineers, right? We did the same thing for Disney Springs. And one of the things that the guest said was, hey, look, I'm a parent, but I'm kind of a big kid at heart. And I'm like, I got to see the fact that you've got uh, Millennium Falcon and you've got the Star Wars Rebel base. And I only get get to see it on the on the first day. And then I have to bug my kid about what it was like. I, I want to play, too. So we took that to heart and we said in that kid space, uh, if you could imagine it, we basically provided – Two doors, right? One door on the inside, so it's controlled programming, safety programming. Kids come in, they're protected, they can access it. The door to the outside is is completely locked and 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 safe. But then we said, you know, there might be times when the cruise line wants to run special program. Maybe they want to do a family play hour in the Star Wars area or the Marvel area. Well, in our design, we provided a way to lock off that room from the rest of the controlled programming and open the room to to guests who want to come and play. So it was really cool to be able to design those spaces uh, for the duality of that. So everybody who wants to be a kid at heart has the opportunity to to play. Yeah, it's brilliant, and I may or may not have had an opportunity to feed a loft cat on my last uh, trip down. <laughs> But you made a great point there in that the kids want to be, you know, in the in the past, kids wanted to be doing what the adults were doing. And the adults were like, no, 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 I wish I was down there. And <laughs> you found a way, Disney found a way to sort of blend a little bit of those. They've given kids, younger kids, some of the more, when I say adult, I mean sort of mature experiences where you are learning and creating and, and building mm. virtual reality experiences in the Imagineering lab and doing things differently. And again, not to spoil, but doing things differently in the Marvel section here than maybe you might be doing on other ships. But you also brought some of those, to quote Mary Poppins, elements of fun into the adult side as well, not just in terms of, uh, look, I love the theming of, of places like Keg and Compass and that you know seafaring map of the world. But let's talk about, you know, the 800-pound Wookiee in the room. The Hyperspace Lounge, you want to talk about such a smart inclusion of a space that has been incredibly popular, will continue to be popular, because it gives kid-like adults that feeling like this is our special space that is... Unlike something in Galaxy's Edge, you obviously made a very clear choice to sort of theme it to, you know, that that the, the Dryden Voss ship in Solo. It's that polished metals and the leather and the gold furnishings. It's a very upscale, very elegant, but fun Star Wars experience, usually for adults only, like in the evening. Absolutely. Now you, you called out the Star Wars reference perfectly. I don't know if, if you got that on your own or if, if, if somebody told you that, but that's exactly, uh, uh, Dryden Voss is exactly what we pulled it off of. And, and uh, you're right. We, you know, that's, that's the, a key component of um, adults who love Disney, especially adults who love Disney Cruise Line, is that they like to escape and play just as much as the kids do. You know, when you when you think about a theme park, nobody travels to Walt Disney World, for example, and stays in Space Mountain for seven days. 
<laughs> you know, they don't do that. And, and the attraction, it's richly themed. You know, you think of Haunted Mansion, Big Thunder Mountain, et cetera, richly themed, awesome. You could ride it again and again and pick up new things. But nobody stays in those attractions or, or even in those parks, for that matter. Nobody lives in that for seven days. Not so on a ship. You're in that thing for, for seven days, three days, four days. If uh, in the future you're taking a crossing or something, it could be 12 days, 14 days. The, the level of scrutiny that those individual environments get is intense, especially because we know that the Disney fans that, that cruise, they're, they're our fans. They really are uh, knowledgeable about the Disney story, about the Disney product. And they are the the deep divers, right? They're not just floaters. They're not just swimmers. They like to deep dive into story. So we really took that into consideration when thinking of all the levels of finish, the levels of story, interactivity, uh, art program, everything, so that there was enough for people to really discover, explore, and 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 play while they're there multiple days. And going back to sort of what we were mentioning earlier, that the allocation and sort of redistribution of space too, uh, not space in terms of a hyperspace, but space on board the ship. You know, we talk about not having a district and, and the flow of guests changing, which you've also done too, is while there's not that dedicated nighttime space for adults, there is more space for adults to, for lack of a better word, play. Senses yes. Spa, for example, much larger. The concierge lounge and level, now two levels with an inside and outside, more concierge level rooms. So there there was sort of a, a you know, talk to the, the, the conscious choice to allocate more space inside and outside for adults. Uh, no question that that was a hundred percent our direction. It was a business direction uh, by the cruise line, but it was also an experiential direction that we wanted. We we knew that um, that we that as the cruise line business, they were receiving more um, luxury focused guests um, who were looking for more out of their experiences within the existing fleet. Disney Cruise Line over time had offered. Um, all kinds of really interesting things, you know, um, uh, Wagyu beef, uh, black truffles, you know, there were, there were add-ons that were luxury add-ons. You, you didn't have to have them. They were still fantastic meals without them. But if, if you, if you wanted a shot of Remy Martin for $1,500, you could get it. Right. And, and again, that's not every guest, but catering in a way to a broader demographic of guests was really, really important. And to be much more thematically on point with all of the spaces. So um, we oftentimes said, you know, look, adults uh, like to be immersed in uh, Disney story. There's a nostalgic part of that. There's a, you know, an escapism kind of pl- part of that. But sometimes they just want to be in a really cool, luxurious space. And it doesn't want to be in the foreground. So I, I think of several different spaces that are like that. They're really cool. Um, they're very comfortable. And there's subtle theming in there, subtle story hints that if, again, if you're a deep diver, you're one of those story people that you hunt down every, you know, hidden Mickey and, and oh, it's black, it's yellow, it's red. It's, it's got to be Mickey. Um, you know, if you're, if you're one of those types of fans, you know, the the team provided that for for you to find and uh that that's what i found the most enjoyable was dialing up and dialing back all of those spaces 
And teams always have the most fun hiding those details in plain sight and in ways that, 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 you know, they know will absolutely surprise and delight guests. And, uh, and sometimes when you have, um, it's, I have another little functional story here that made a huge difference, but it took a little while because it was so different. And that was the decision to remove the midship elevator. Um, one of the, the, the challenges that the cruise line gave us when we started designing was we've got a lot of congestion within the ship and within the center part of the ship. And, um, and, and we'd like to try to solve that. So, our collab- collaborative team um, really st- kind of got together and, or I should say, interconnected team. So with the ops people, industrial engineering, and we really started looking at that. And the recommendation we came back with was, we really think you should remove that bank of elevators. And you could imagine how that went, right? We've, we've lived we lived with that for 20 years. What are, you, what are you talking about, crazy? And we really studied it. We did a lot of modeling of that, how people would move. And the decision was made to do that. And I've, I've gotten feedback now from friends who have gone and said it was the right move because now people know which way to go to programming, how to circulate. It gets them out of that middle area. So decisions like that have a maybe rooted in practicality, but then we take advantage of that and build something really great like that um, atrium stage mm-hmm. in its place. You know, it's funny. A couple of things. As you're talking, you know, again, you take out the midship elevators, watch Disney fans who cruise like they I literally saw people walking behind and like turning their heads like, where's there's supposed to be an elevator here? And there's exactly. Um, But once like you're there for a couple of days, like, oh, it makes sense. I get it. I see why there's more elevators in the the forward and, and aft banks. And then I was laughing to myself when you talked about the $1,500 shot of Remy Martin and people in Disney probably saying, nobody's ever going to order that. Nobody's going to order a $5,000 Kyber crystal drink. They sold seven on the on on the on the yeah, maiden voyage do. of the cruise. Um, quick aside, I ha- actually happened to be there for the very first one that was sold. And Becky Mankin, our, our, my travel partner, and was there for the third one uh, to, to see that. And actually put a, we put a blog post up. Um, covering cool. really something it, it's really amazing to see what it all entails again creating experiences for adults that want to do something that is um, not only fun and is unique not just to the ship but really something that, that you can't do anywhere else um, even some of the smaller spaces there and like having Hook's Barbershop right so now you not only have a, a, an untangled salon but you have a Hook's Barbershop which is not just a place to get, you know, a, a hot shave or, you know, but there's like a little bar in there too. So this <laughs> it is there is this interesting use of a small space for adults that just wasn't on other ships prior. Yes, yeah. We we made a lot of decisions and and I think I, I you know, I really kudos to the um Disney Cruise Line operations and leadership team because a lot of those decisions were were I would consider very edgy, right? It was, hey, let's take the pools on the upper deck pools and let's divide them. 
let's don't do one pool, two pools, let's do seven pools or whatever it ended up being. And, and, you know, that's kind of a radical idea. Let's remove the midship elevators, you know, <laughs> or let's take the Buena Vista theater and split it in half. Let's do two theaters, right? So some of that was really bold thinking, very, very different than, than uh, where they were before, but it gave the design team, the creative team, the ability to really push into those spaces and I think do more with smaller spaces and create more intimate moments. Uh, let's be honest, sitting at the top uh, row in the Buena Vista Theater, any adult of any size at all, that's the most uncomfortable seat on the ship. You have Your knees are obliterated by the end of the movie. So we said, well, that's silly. That's really not usable space. If we took the seats and we divided it into two smaller, very high end, like you went to some millionaire's house and got to sit in their theater in the coolest themed theater of all with THX and all that stuff, that would be a way better movie going experience. And you can double up on the movies. Now you're playing two different movies at the same time. So I think decisions like that were super smart. It was really fun to be uh, to think of innovating in those ways um and my hope is is once it's been out there and thousands and thousands of people have gone that i hope the reviews are through the roof and that's what people are going to initially see and maybe if you've cruised before you almost have to sort of get used to because it is a, a number of smaller spaces and places by design um that are that do have a more intimate feeling to them. Uh, but I think it's also, I have to imagine that, that the idea was, how do we maximize the utilization of these spaces when there's not something going on? Right? What, what else can we use Tritons for? What can we use some of these other locations for? And by not having it be these cavernous spaces like, you know, a, a tube, for example, and breaking that out, it does allow for a little bit more flexibility in the programming, I have to imagine. Such a great observation, Lou, honestly. And the, the reason that we could get, a, I should say, get away with, or the reason that the, quote, smaller spaces work is that we made all of the spaces much more flexible. Um, like you mentioned, the tube, right? That, that sort of nightclub environment wasn't really used much during the day. So if you, if you would think of yourself as a property owner and you've got property that you're charging rent for or, uh, you know, you're leasing these particular spaces, you kind of want every single space to be working hard for you almost every hour that you possibly can. So we kind of approached the Disney Cruise Line in that way, too. And, and the, the discussion was, how do we make these spaces work harder for us? We have all this programming, all these things that we do. Instead of designing a nightclub space that's so specifically nightclub that it can't be used for anything else, why don't we design it so it's a cool nightclub, it's a cool gaming room, it's a cool meeting room, it's, you know, it, it has all of these different functions. And, uh, and, and that's why, uh, that, that also drove the decision to, um, move the, the sports court indoors and do that in, as two levels, um, to really drive a lot more functionality of that space and to have it use more usable. I mean, you're, you've been in that, on that sports court on the other ships in the Bahamas and it's, you're about to pass out out there 110 degrees or something. <laughs> so moving all that content and, and activity indoors, um, means that it never has to really close. It can, you can play there all the time. And it's a great flex space. I mean, I, you know, the, 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 the space is used not just so kids can go in and play basketball, but, you know, bringing in something like the Incredi Games, where families, again, can 
do th- look, it goes back to Walt, a place where families have fun mm. together. And I think still there, and it's still sort of the heart of this ship too, going back to the spaces. Absolutely. I love, love, love the bayou. I love the lights and the colors and this open environment that's created with this canopy of magnolia blossoms and the moss and <laughs> the lily pads and the light is gorgeous. And you can use it, and I've seen it used for different functions, whether it's having, you know, a small arts and crafts type thing where I've saw, you know, families building, you know, little ship models or something together. And then at night, it turning a little bit more into a lounge and having a three-piece band, maybe playing some jazz, having some beignets in there. Um, same thing like with Luna. You know, you sort of taken D-Lounge and you've made it not only two stories, but I... You know, the, 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 if you haven't been on The Wish yet, I, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you know, the idea is that you're sort of stepping into this castle at sea, and I sort of imagined Luna being, you know, behind the castle, you know, proper, and it's almost like the town square where everybody sort of gathers together for whatever, whether it's bingo, whether it's a comedian or a magician. Perfect description. Absolutely. Um, how <clears throat> how you overlay the theme and everything is is uh, that's the fun part. That's the story. That's what people emotionally connect with. But the functional part of having a two level, um, multi flexible space um, that that people that you can close off um, or that you can leave all the way open. The, the possibilities of, of from an operation standpoint are almost endless. It could be a comedian. It could be the newlywed game. It could be Super Bowl party. It could be the Olympics are on and, and we, you know, we want to play. I mean, there's so many almost infinite, uh, uses for the space. And, um, and, and so that was, that's a great example of kind of what I'm talking about is, is examining how our guests move on the ship, what their interests are, um, understanding the business of the cruise line. How do we innovate on our on 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 ourselves? How do we innovate with regards to the uh, to the entire industry, and create spaces that that are functional for a much longer period of time? I mean, even the work that we did on the we haven't even talked about this, but on the um, all the passenger decks where all the cabins are. Right, the different overlays and and thematic feeling that you can get from from these different decks is really really cool, and you can you can book multiple times on the ship and be in different places and have different themes, um, and we like the idea of creating those unique environments so that it drives people to want to come back over and over and over to see, you know, one ship, not just for the great content, of course, for that, but to see things that you didn't see last time. And I think the stateroom is a great example of of how I sort of define and describe the ship as a whole. It is, it's wonderfully, comfortably elegant, right? There's a little bit more of like an elegant upscale feet feeling to the stateroom. It's a slightly refined layout. Certain things are changed, like you know, there's no drawers, but the the hints of Disney in terms of the different the beautiful artwork over the headboard is that sort of like this mm. this wide kind of cinematic establishing shot to the other little piece of artwork over the couch and even just on i noticed that the second night that i was there on the, the the lamps on the side of the bed the subtle little mickeys that are in there too um, even in the design of, of 
the the carpets in the hallways, which for Disney Cruise fans are so important because <laughs> they're not only attractive, but they help you navigate the ship as well. Right. <laughs> exactly. Can't forget about that. I, I think it's those uh, small details that attention to detail is what that is a key differentiator for the Disney brand. Um, one of the things that when we were going through that design process as a team, um, I can't believe it was, gosh, you know, four or five years ago, what was happening in the world in the cruise industry, you know, if you sail on vessels like um, uh, Oasis of the Sea, you know, these massive 6,000 people uh, cruise lines uh, capacity, what I realized when we benchmarked all these different cruises is those things are, are like giant malls. And the trend was going away from um, apps actually recognizing the fact that you're on the sea. There was no nautical motif. There wasn't nautical colors. There wasn't waveforms, fish. It, they, they completely abandoned that. And the general sentiment, I don't know why, was to, to kind of abandon that. And Disney wasn't about that, right? I mean, the entire ship brand is this golden age of, of sea travel. So we wanted to do nautical references, nautical, you know, nods to the fact that you're on a seafaring vessel throughout everything that we did. Some very elegant, some on point, some Disney, you know, focused uh, with Disney sea animals or sea characters. And so hopefully we uh, um, created the right balance and that we absolutely remind guests that this is a Disney Cruise Line experience, not a theme park experience. It is what it isn't, right? Because there are theme park-like experiences in terms of the activities and the entertainment, right? We haven't even talked about things like the Walt Disney Theater and, and the incredible, beautiful theming of this. But, but then we're burying the lead. And we need to get to arguably, in my world, the most important part of a Disney Cruise Line voyage. And I will quote a, a very famous and, and wise man who said, if you are what you eat, I only want to eat the good stuff. And that wise man, of course, was Remy. The, we, <laughs> we use the word dining experience sort of very loosely, but that's absolutely what you have here. Again, following not just the rotational dining concept, but in terms of execution of theme, 1923 is very dif different than Worlds of, Marvel, Worlds of Marvel, which is very different from Arendelle and the Festival of Foods and Enchante and, and Marceline Ta Market. Talk to me a little bit about the, the thought process going in in terms of dining. I, I think I, I know one um, really important factor of any of our guests' uh, vacation is dining. Um, it is it is this important thing, and I I think that nobody does dining like Disney does on the sea. I mean, having sailed with lots and lots and lots of other cruise lines all over the world, um, even international cruise lines, Italian cruise lines, German cruise lines, um, nobody does it as well as Disney. And we, you know, when you think of dining experiences, when you're by the pool, for example, playing, you don't want to have to stop. You don't want to have to find a jacket and a dress and go sit down with a white tablecloth. I mean, you, you want that later, but by the pool, you want to find good food fast. You want to be reminded uh, that you're in a Disney um, experience. So you, you can do that. You want to go to the right buffet. 
and be in this environment. You want fine dining. You want a Michelin star dining. So creating all of these different levels and experiences of dining, of, of uh, lounge experiences that you can get if you go in just for a nice drink, uh, you know, cocktail, that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's, you're there for, you know, four days, seven days. Having that variety is really, really important. And um, we not only wanted to provide a, a really good variety in the rotational dining restaurants, but we also wanted to provide um, options for uh, guests to opt into, right? So you have several other those options that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to eat in the restaurant tonight. I'm, we're going to go up and, and have this, you know, amazing experience at Enchante, for example. Yeah, and one of the things that I found fascinating was – how different each of the experiences was and, and, and on different levels there are too. So for example, 1923 is this elevated, elegant, the warm woods and the metal grill work. Spoiler alert for my review. 1923 <laughs> is the best dining experience I've had on Disney cruise line period. Hands down. Wow. Like again, going back to the spaces, you took a large dining venue and made intimate spaces out of it. You almost feel like you're eating in this very small, warm, comfortable, exclusive, yet comfortable restaurant with exceptional food, by the way. Um, I love the fact that it embraces Walt and Roy, right? That that's not lost at all. It is, in fact, it is right off the Grand Hall. So it is literally mm -hmm. front and center but it is this wonderfully, again, this comfortable, elegant, refined dining experience that's part of the rotational dining that's not an additional charge restaurant. I, I'm <clears throat> You're picking up on, on all of the, the, the areas that I, I really hoped that you would. We, we looked at the, uh, the main dining sort of on that main uh, atrium level, and we thought to ourselves, there are occasions where it feels too big. Uh, on some of the other ships now, not always, but but you know, it feels like how how could we bring more intimate moments there? So this was one of those really massive paradigm shifts when you start thinking about the GA and how this works. And, and in a sense, it was a bit of a heresy when you put that restaurant on deck three right there by the atrium. We literally cut the restaurant completely in half with a corridor that goes back to the aft elevators and in a sense are creating two sides of, of a restaurant and uh, of a single restaurant that offers an, an immense amount of flexibility for the operator, but it also provides what you just said. And that is more intimate spaces. It feels like you're in a higher end, smaller kind of restaurant. It doesn't feel like a factory. It doesn't feel not, not that our other ones do, but you know, it just doesn't feel that. Now, when you go to um, Arendelle and you're on the aft end of the ship and this beautiful, large um, entertainment-based experience, you'd want it to be big. You want it to, 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 to be this experience where performers come through the aisles and everything. So we try to look at each space, every space, not just dining, and design it in that way so that it delivered the best experience for the type of dining that, that, or, or lounge that we were going after. And I think Arendelle is a great example and an exception to what we've been talking about, right? In terms of these small, intimate spaces, because here the the dining 
it, it truly is an, a, a dining experience, right? Because there is a show that takes place, but the dining is supported by the entertainment and not the other way around, right? The, the, the entertainment does not overwhelm the dining experiences, but it was a brilliant choice to take the server stations out from the center areas and corridors that are not only obstructing to flow, but to line of sight. So there is no bad seat in the house for this right. central square stage that you feel like you're almost in this sort of like outdoor environment, sort of in a town square, watching this very, very, very well-performed and very funny show, by the way, um, that doesn't feel like a cavernous space at all, even when there's 700 whatever plus guests in the same time. Right. Uh, I'm I'm so glad uh, that you had that experience because, you know, in collaboration with the cruise lines, we really cut our teeth on that idea um, uh, with um, the wonder, right? When we brought Tiana's place to life, that was really us experimenting and playing with this idea of an entertainment-based dining experience. And and how could we do that? Now, we, we had... We couldn't do a lot in that space because it was already designed. We couldn't knock down walls and all that stuff, obviously, a big challenge on a ship. Um, but we made it work within that space. And I think when that restaurant launched, um, I think it was Portal Magazine or, or Clea. I don't remember. Somebody came back and ranked it the best restaurant at sea. At sea. That, that, that's amazing. I mean, how many high-end you know, restaurants are there? So that gave Disney Cruise Line – you know, my imaginary team, it gave us the ability to say, this is going to work. So that really became a standard on the ships as an entertaining, an entertainment based dining show. And, uh, and then when we got the chance to do it on the wish, we purpose built and designed the whole space to really support that idea. So. Yeah. And even worlds of Marvel. And again, not to spoil anything. I was very intentional in my coverage, not to sort of, show a lot of video of what happens not just on screen but around you in the theater and while there are a lot of guests in that space you do feel immersed but you don't feel overwhelmed again because of the design and the layout it does feel like a relatively intimate experience not just with you and your server but with some of the action that that takes place around you to support the dining experience and not the other way around Yes, fantastic. I mean, these are these are um, intellectual properties that our guests love so much, and I think when you when you look at shows um, like Drawn to Animation um, on the Dream and the Fantasy, you have a lot of entertainment. You have a lot of experience going on, um, and that proved to uh, the cruise line and to Imagineering that you could really structure a show around the timing of dining and it doesn't interrupt the dining experience you know because you last thing you'd want is crush sitting there hey kid hey kid you know and the kid's <laughs> like i'm just trying to eat you know so so you know figuring that right timing and the right level of interaction and that flow taking all of that information and pouring it into worlds of marvel so that and and also um arendelle right it, it's this perfect balance of entertainment and dining and family time. You still get to enjoy 
you're not you're not screaming at each other over some loud music or something. It's, well, it's all balanced. And and I said multiple times to myself and and out loud, I said this is an incredibly well choreographed ballet between the show that is going on that is sort of programmed and and sort of being performed live in in both locations as well as coordinating with the kitchen that has to get out <laughs> fresh food to x number of guests relatively speaking all at the same time is this wonderful it is it was sort of like a ballet and just watching it all I can imagine what that kitchen must look like. It must like be amazing to see. But what was happening on stage and off stage, I it, I appreciate the choreography that really must take and and the strategy to make that all happen. Disney Cruise Line crew, I have to say, are just absolutely the best. Just the the very best of the best. And you know when you when you create a space like we'll just say Arendelle, for example. Um, you have so many different things going on, as you said. You have food service, you have drink service, you've got entertainment personnel moving in and out. You've got guests. Uh, you, you know, you have a guest that uh, their their son or daughter has to go to the bathroom, so you get up in the middle, and you have to consider all of these things when you're designing. How do you put all of that together? Um, how do you, uh, crew? Uh, go in and out of the the galley in a way that's that that that's the se- most seamless for them. Um, where do you put those wait stations so that it works for them? And and where do you put the POS stations? I mean, there's so much of that that's integrated. And and I hope your audience um, thinks and considers that too. It's not just you've got this great space. Let's plop this really cool show in here. I mean, months were spent on arranging the tables and this table should be square and we have to make this table round because, and this only gets this many seats. And well, what if we elevate the floor slightly here so these people can see months and months of, of really painstaking detail to, to deliver that kind of, of experience? Yeah, I, I am very hyper aware of and hope that other guests are too, not only that everything speaks, but that there is a, a sometimes method to the madness. There's a reason why things are the way they are and, and placed where they are. And quickly, just to, I think it bears mentioning, you know, you talked about having the casual dining experience, the family dining experience, the entertainment dining experience. But there, there is this level of dining experience, which is an add-on as it has been in the past with Paulo and Remy. But now with Paulo's Steakhouse and Enchante, Two venues that I promise you, for research purposes only, I, I did <laughs> I did have occasion to dine in both. You forget <laughs> that you are on a Disney ship. Not just because of the appointments and accoutrements and the food, but the overall experience is very, very different. Well, one of the I, I'm I'm glad that it it came together that way uh, because that was our that was our goal and our direction. How can some spaces just be amazing spaces? Disney creates amazing spaces. How could there be very subtle hints of Disney character, Disney story? Um, but that was very purposeful uh, at the time. Again, leadership was thinking very much along the lines of. Look, we, we definitely get families. We have multi-generational families that come through. Um, Disney Cruise Line, I think, really owns uh, the family cruise space, uh, that niche within the industry. But there was a, a pretty big effort to say, we want to attract 
uh, adults without kids, whether it's older adults or whether it's um, just, you know, um, adults that, that don't have any children of their own. And how can we attract uh, these individuals in a way that they won't be put off by, quote unquote, for um, uh, you know, fan, uh, people who are not maybe like uber fans of Disney, how how would they uh, still come and the level of service, the attention to detail, the um, the great uh, performances, you know, how could we create a space that that would draw that particular segment of the population in? So some a lot of those choices you'll see were, were based on that. How can we do that? We absolutely have to meet the needs of our fans, of our, of our, you know, Disney guests, but how can we bring in potentially new guests that maybe never cruised with Disney before? And, and maybe they're cruising without kids and they look at it as it's still a cut above uh, what everybody else can do. And, you know, one thing I think we, that bears mentioning too, Theron, is part of what I think initially draws us to the Disney parks and maybe even to Disney cruise is the, is the fact that it is, a theme park at sea. It's, it's entertainment. It's attractions, and you you mentioned some of the smaller venues and spaces and things that go on. I think it also bears mentioning two quick things. One, the Walt Disney Theater, um, which is beautiful. Again, thematically, it's different. It's um, it, it's very warm. It's very woodsy. Like I, I'm I'm sort of imagining like the forests of Fantasia, um, <laughs> but again very elegant with these gilded columns and dimensional flowers and trees and the technology that's integrated into that theater. My daughter, my daughter is a stage management major and she just sort of lost her mind watching shows in that theater <laughs> and the Aquamouse, right? That first attraction at sea going from the aqueduct to the aqueduct to some of these other things and then taking it and sort of dialing it up a little bit more. Talk to me a little bit about those spaces and really sort of sort of two sort of, Hallmark attractions at sea. Absolutely, yeah. The Walt Disney Theater. I mean, you have to deliver over the top um, with that theater. We we realize that a lot of our guests um, maybe they never had an opportunity to go to Broadway and see a Broadway show, uh, and or or the West End, uh, you know, in London or something. Maybe maybe they maybe they just never had that opportunity. And this gives uh, those guests the opportunity to sit in this beautiful, as you described it, gilded sort of over the top, you know, traditional looking theater, this this beautiful theater. But then we we really overwhelm them <laughs> with uh, Disney storytelling, Disney theatrical, um, all of these new technologies that are in that space. And, and, you know, the goal is to surprise and delight these guests in a way that they just did not expect. Um, and even more important is to, and, and more difficult is to deliver on Disney cruise line fans. If you've been sailing with Disney for 20 years, you know, the wish you want to come out and wow, those fans who are like, I've seen it all. I've done it all. I love it all. You know, I dare you to blow me away. And, and, and hopefully, you know, the, the collective team that works so hard to, 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 you know, get this ship launched. Uh, hopefully, uh, that that's uh, guests will feel that way. And then, as far as this the attraction at sea, you know, when you start to look at the aqueduct uh, or the aqueduct, for example, either one of those, it's brilliant. It's just it's amazing, and it's it's hard to improve on something that's so incredible. 
And uh, I know the team in early days, we thought through so many different iterations of that. It was unbelievable. But how to really up our game and really make that much more of an attraction, much more interactive. And um, from the little bit, of fe- little bit of feedback that I've read and I've seen, it feels like uh, the team has done that, really delivered something that is is completely unique. It's really going to be hard to uh, outdo that on the next two shows. Yeah, I was going to say, well, and it, I was going to say the... the um... The Aqua Mouse is is a very multi sensory experience, and again, I won't spoil too much for anybody who hasn't had a chance to ride. Well, even the Walt Disney Theater is is, is at times a a multi sensory experience. Quick aside, spoiler: sees the adventure. Like I've been on cruises before, I've seen the Welcome Show. I'm like, okay, fine. I absolutely loved it. Like I love, love, loved it. <laughs> the Aqua Mouse is. It made me think of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. It's like being dropped into a Mickey animated short that is a ride that has visual and sort of, you mm-hmm. know, 4D effects. Absolutely. I, and I think that was one way that, that we all thought would really uh, go over the top is, you know, it's what do you do on the deck of a ship, right? It's all about... Sea, sun, fun, being with families, swimming, you know, getting wet, having a good time, and trying not to get burnt. Um, so how do you take that up a notch and how do you really um, lean into even more Disney storytelling? And we kind of felt like on the on the deck, that's a place where you could really do that and 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 actually get kind of wacky with hijinks and all that stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm super proud with uh with what was done there. Um, how we thought about that. I really loved uh, the playground as well uh, for the younger swimmers. You know, you have to separate that so you don't have all the big big kids that are running and playing, you know, running uh, through all the toddlers. So creating a toddler area and trying to do that in a way that was really um, appropriate for the age, but also um, supported mom and dad uh, in that space and and um and delivered something another really really cool thing so i don't know i don't want to spoiler alert on that one but that <laughs> we that was awesome really no cool. i loved it too i walked by again my kids are a little a lot too old for it but i loved sort of the design and this isn't a spoiler because little kids probably aren't listening or will remember anyway but even just sort of the design <laughs> of some of the little slides they're almost sort of made to look like they were inflatables, like they look like they're soft and squishy, but they're really meant for for little kids. I thought was really very very smart. Um, again, look, then we could talk as we have been in the past. We could yeah, talk for hours True. just about <laughs> the wish itself. Um, I think what this does is whether you are a first time cruiser, and, and I think I think the the wish is actually a, a, a an ideal choice for first time cruisers especially disney cruisers if you have young kids or older kids families as well as those looking for an upscale cruising experience on disney cruise line i think some guests will be very very surprised that if that is the type of experience you are looking for it is very very much available and if you want it to be can be sort of separate from maybe things that maybe you don't want to experience on board um right for you is do you have a favorite part of either this ship or a cruise line in general or maybe a, a can't miss unique innovative experience on board 
Oh gosh, it's it's like asking a parent to pick their favorite child. But deep down, you really have it. You just don't say it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I I don't know. There's so we've we've kind of hit on all of them actually. Um, I love, especially in the the what I'm doing now. I run my own company and and working with clients, and and I love solving problems. I love bringing um, innovative breakthroughs that actually drive business that uh, create this connection with the brand. And, and when you realize that you had, I had the opportunity to do that for the Disney company for, you know, 23 plus years. And, um, and you're, you know, that's the brass ring, right? I got no better training in the industry than there. And, and I look at all of those spaces, you know, dividing up the pools, you know, that was awesome. That occurred in a day and in my sketch pad, and I just drew out all these different pools and, because if a little guy has an accident in the pool, it's closed for like four hours. Right. And and I, you know, you're on a cruise line and you're sitting there and Disney's cleaning the pool and doing the best job that they can. And all these people are disappointed because the pool is closed. That seems like Body Shack is playing in my head right now. But this- <laughs> <laughs> Baby Ruth. But anyways, keep going. Uh, and and by, by dividing that up, it's a functional solution, but it's really super creative. Because then those pools you you cover over at night and you've got great viewing area for the spectacular. It's just stuff like that. I I just love uh, dividing the the Buena Vista Theater into two smaller ones. I love that. I love the um, I really loved uh, the Arendelle doing that on the back of the ship and having uh, windows that you can see during the day. You can see out and over the sea. We imagined you know wedding ceremonies there and everything. The beautiful view aft. Um, I don't know. There's, I don't, I can't really say I have a favorite. Oh, converting the funnel into a suite. Hello. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was so fun. So I, I don't know. I, I, it was probably one of my funnest, most fun projects um, with my time with Disney. Um, I learned so much uh, having never done nautical design or anything before starting the project. It was a very steep learning curve uh, in the beginning, uh, but extremely rewarding and as always, you know, my hope is, like every Imagineer's hope, is that the guests that we designed it for are blown away, that they love it, that it's it delivers in every way that we hope that it would. Well, and, and I know it's, it's you know, you can design and create and build the most wonderful place in the world. It takes people to make a dream reality. I cannot imagine the countless number of people and the innumerable number of hours, especially through a pandemic and all those things that that made this all come, <clears throat> excuse me, made this all come together um, so beautifully. And and I'm sure I am not the only person who walked on board the ship and saw some of these things. The same way we sometimes walk into new attractions and say things there and like, how does Disney do that? Like, how are they able to do it? If only there was someone who would maybe put together a book that would help. Make us understand how Disney Absolutely. does that. Wow. What a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're hinting at my newest project. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think that's something that guests really love. How do they do that? So uh, a guy that I met, uh, uh, an author, uh, we were actually partnering to create a book called How Does Disney Do That? And it's uh, basically the guest... Uh, the voice of the guest that says, I wonder how that happens. And, and the response of an experienced designer that says, here's, here's how we create these things. Here's how we create this magic and why. So uh, that's a really fun culmination of, of 
my time with Disney, and and I I hope when we get it all together that uh, that guests will love that as well. Absolutely, and we'll uh, we'll certainly <laughs> keep in touch, and and we'll share that when it comes out. In the meantime, Theron, where can people find you if they want to connect with you or sort of follow your adventures online? Fantastic. Well, I'm on all of the standard socials. Uh, probably one of the easiest places to find me is on LinkedIn, uh, but I also have Instagram. Uh, don't do much on Twitter anymore, but uh, YouTube channel, um, I offer quite a lot of videos that help people understand how to do what we do uh, at Imagineering. Um, I have a, I run a business that's called the Designers Creative Studio. I currently have clients all over the world. I do quite a lot of consulting there. And then through my website, which is also called uh, the Designers Creative Studio, um, I offer quite a lot of um, uh, different things, classes, courses, um, and I do quite, believe it or not, quite a lot of mentoring uh, through my site, scheduling a lot of people. Uh, surprising to me, I've had company CEOs come through and ask me um, about different aspects of the industry, how to structure things all the way through to students and uh, new professionals that are looking to structure their portfolio. So. I, I try to stay busy and, and stay connected to um, this group of new professionals that are moving into uh, this industry. I, I really enjoy that. Well, it makes sense because, uh, as always, nobody does it like Disney, and the Disney Wish is a perfect example of that. Uh, Theron, thank you again so much, not just for your time again today, but for everything and uh, I'm sure the blood, sweat, and tears that probably went into creating something that, that is truly spectacular. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Incredible teamwork. It, 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 hopefully I tried to weave that through everything. Incredible partnership, incredible teamwork. Nothing gets done by uh, individuals. It's all uh, about making it work with the team. So I hope your audience members tell lots of people they go enjoy it and, and I hope they have the time in their lives. It's time for our Disney trivia question of the week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World, or maybe this week, Disney Cruise Line trivia, or identify where in Disney you may have heard a sound, song, or quote. If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is once again, sincerely brought to you by you. Because as part of the WW Radio Nation, you help bring every episode of WW Radio to life, every live broadcast from the parks, the contests and giveaways, they're all thanks to you. And you can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar per month and get cool exclusive rewards every month like scavenger hunts, trivia quests, participate in our group video calls, get access to our private Facebook group, get shirts, stickers, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World and maybe Disney Cruise Line and much more. And don't forget that a portion of your contribution goes to our Dream Team project to help benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Thanks to you, your support, friendship, and generosity, we've raised more than $550,000 to help children with life-threatening illnesses and their families visit Walt Disney World. To find out more, to join the nation, you can visit www.radio.com support. And this week, I want to thank some of the new and longtime members, including Steve Haynes, Patty Leslie, Sarah Matson. Tucker and Judy Miller, I appreciate you and know that what you do to help support the show makes a real difference. Again, to find out more, visit www.radio.com slash support. Now, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. 
So last week we were at Territory Lounge at Disney's Wilderness Lodge and I cannot stop thinking about the pretzel bread and mushroom soup, but I digress. And I asked you to tell me what two animals stand atop the totem poles in the lobby of Disney's Wilderness Lodge. I want to thank the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, and knew that the answer was, of course, an eagle and a raven. And I also added a bonus extra credit question, which was to tell me what other Walt Disney World Resort did architect Peter Dominic, who designed Wilderness Lodge, also design? Once again, you came through and impressed and knew that the answer was, of course, Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge. And last week you were playing for a WW Radio mug, a mystery prize, and a bonus prize, which is also a mystery. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Ashley Brooks. So, Ashley, congratulations. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World or Disney Cruise Line Trivia Challenge. So as long as we are talking about the Disney Wish, let us stay in the Disney Wish, specifically in the Grand Hall. And your question this week is simply to tell me what character statue adorns the Grand Hall of the Disney Wish? There are smaller sort of connected and ancillary statues around this person and all you need to do is tell me this one's easy tell me who is the life-size statue in the grand hall of on the disney wish you have until sunday july 31st at 11:59 p.m eastern to go to www.radio.com click on this week's podcast use the form there and this week you're going to play for a mystery prize from the maiden voyage one of the inaugural cruises of the Disney Wish. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Thank you also for following along and joining me virtually on the Disney Wish, both on the Christening Cruise and this past week on the Maiden Voyage. Please stay tuned the week of August 1st for our WDW Radio inaugural group cruise on The Wish. I'll be doing the same thing, sharing on my Instagram stories, reels, and posts, as well as make sure you turn on notifications on the WDW Radio page and group on Facebook, as I'll also be going live throughout the week as well. If you have any questions about The Wish, whether you're coming with us on an upcoming voyage or you're thinking about going on your own, you can post those or talk about anything in the Disney, Marvel, or Star Wars universe and be part of the community and conversation over in the WW Radio Clubhouse. There's our fun, family-friendly, and very warm and welcoming community over on Facebook at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. If you have any questions for me that I can answer for you, you can email me, lou, at www.radio.com and call the voicemail at 407-900-9391 with a comment, a question, a hello from the parks or thoughts about this or any other episodes of the show. And also make sure you visit our events page at www.radio.com slash events to find out how you can be part of some of these events, including our meets of the month. We have our next meet of the month coming up this Sunday in Epcot, as well as our harmonious dessert party. We still have a couple of tickets still available. Look for upcoming group cruises, adventures by Disney, on-the-road events, and a couple of other things that I'm planning that I'm not quite ready to announce just yet. Speaking of events, switching gears just a little bit, if you go to lumangelo.com slash momentum, 
tickets are available, but selling fast for my 2022 Momentum Weekend Workshop in Walt Disney World, October 22nd and 23rd at the Hilton Orlando Lake Buena Vista in Disney Springs. I won't go too much into it here, but it is a two-day, 50-person, single-room event that'll help you take your brand, your business, your idea, your blog, your social, whatever it is, to the next level by learning, sharing, networking with other entrepreneurs, hearing from, and working with others who have walked the walk and can help you move the needle right there in the room. There's also an optional 10-person mastermind day on Monday. And because I want to help you, I want to help you get there. I want to help you get in that room and learn and literally change your business and your life. I'm going to offer you a special $100 off discount code only here on the podcast. When you check out, if you use code podcast 100, one word, you will save $100 off your workshop ticket. And if you would like to present or maybe be part of a panel at this year's event, again, visit lumangelo.com slash momentum. You can submit your application there. Or if you know somebody that you think would be a good speaker or presenter or workshop host, let me know or just have them contact me directly. Again, lumangelo.com slash momentum. P.S. If you're coming to Momentum, we have a ridiculously good rate at the Hilton Lake Buena Vista right across the street from Disney Springs. And P.P.S. It's also Food and Wine Festival. There you go. Moving on, thanks to our friends over at Mouse Fan Travel, where you're coming to Disney World, Land, Disney Cruise Line, or any destination on the planet. Visit mousefantravel.com. Tell them Lou sent you for the best possible prices, all available discounts. Most important, the best level of personal attention and service by their travel advisors that comes at no cost to you. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, I promise you that we are friends. All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. How do you do that? Share a link to this or your favorite episode on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Invite one of your friends to come not only listen to and subscribe to the show, but be part of the community over on Facebook. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over an Apple podcast. Even if you're listening on Spotify or a different podcast player, just fire up Apple podcast, leave a review there. I'd like to thank some recent reviewers like Booth Samantha, who says this is Disney magic for the whole family. I found my way to lose podcast about two years ago after our first family trip to Disney World, and I'm so grateful that I did. Every week, I look forward to a new episode because each one gives me that dose of Disney magic that lifts my spirits, sparks my imagination and curiosity, deepens my appreciation of Walt Disney and his legacy, and gets me excited for my next Disney adventure. Lou and his guests go above and beyond with their sharing of knowledge and passion for all things Disney with a delivery that is one all at once intelligent, humorous, entertaining, sincere, and touching. Oh, thank you. Wow, you just made my day. Our whole family has fallen in love with WW Radio, and my children often listen, often ask to listen to Lou. Oh my God, I love that. Keep up the amazing work, Lou, and the contributors to WW Radio. Thank you for the magic. Samantha, thank you so very much for that. You don't know how much that means and the smile you have put on my face. And I hope that this week's podcast and the podcast in general and the stuff I share on social and the community that you have created do the exact same thing. I hope it puts a smile on your face and makes your day or your week better and that you pay that forward to other people as well, that you are that positive light that you want to see in that world. You can be the change by choosing the good and passing that on to others. I promise you that if you spread positivity, positivity will spread I love you, I appreciate you, and I really do hope that this is your best week ever. I hope to see you on the Facebook Live show this Wednesday night or next week from the Disney Wish. So until then, 
See ya. Hey, Lou. Uh, my name is Brenna, and I'm from Denver, Colorado. And I just got back from my first time at Disneyland in several years and my fiance's first time ever. And it was a pretty wild trip. Um, so we drove out from Colorado to California um, over the course of two days with two of our good friends. And you know, we arrived, we did Disneyland on Sunday, July 3rd, and it was just magic. And we had planned to do two more days But then on July 4th, um, my fiancé and our two friends that we drove out with all tested positive for COVID. (laughs) So we started driving back to Colorado, and we just got back. It's uh, it's Wednesday afternoon. (laughs) And despite all that, you know, in in choosing the good, I would say, one, thank you for always encouraging us to choose the good because it really helped me on the way home just to think back and think about some of our highlights from our day at Disney. And so I'll share them. I'll share that when I walked into Star Wars land for the first time, I got really teary eyed. <laughs> and then I did it again when, um, Oh, what was it? I think it, we, well, we did smugglers run and we did rise of the resistance and no spoilers. Those were mind boggling. I was truly speechless. And my fiance, you know, we, we tried to take him on some of the classics. We did Big Thunder Mountain. We did Soren. We did Rise of Resistance. And his favorite ride was Luigi's Rollickin' Roadsters, where you <laughs> sit in a little car and do a little dance to some Italian music with all the other cars. And it was so silly and so goofy and so fun. We were just giggling like little kids and, and then howling with laughter as we spun around and around. And the other, you know, there were little kids, actual little kids laughing and this elderly couple that was having a good time. And it just really drove home that Disneyland and Disney is for everyone of all ages. And, oh, my gosh, it was just a blast. So, Anyway, I'm looking forward to Disneyland round two. <laughs> Don't know when that'll be, but, you know, hopefully we can go back again sometime soon and get to try everything. And anyway, I hope you get to go out to Disneyland, too, sometime soon, Lou. So anyway, you and all the other listeners at home, you know, take care, wear a mask. <laughs> and anyway, everybody just take care, have a great week, and good luck. <laughs> Bye. Hey, Lil. It's Christine Morrison in Flowertown, Pennsylvania. I'm listening to your live show that you did at um, in Anaheim, and it's so good. And I just had a really cool idea, and I'm sure other people have thought of this already, but when you guys go on the Wish and you go to the Hyperspace Lounge, wear your Chandrilla pin because maybe, who knows, Total shot in the dark. Maybe the bartenders see you wearing your Chandrilla Starline pin and know that you've been on the Galactic Scar Cruiser. Maybe you'll have some sort of special interaction that you can only get if you're wearing that pin. Wouldn't that be cool if they extended that to the cruise ship hyperspace lounge? So that's what I want everybody to do (laughs) because I want to see if anything happens. And I've not been on the Star Cruiser yet. So as an experiment, and I am a very scientific person, scientific experiment, wear your Chandrilla pin to the hyperspace lounge and tell me if anything happens with the bartender. Okay, anyway, 
that's it. That's all I have to say. I'm going to go back and finish listening. I love it so far. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. It's Friday night. Woohoo! Make somebody smile. Talk to you soon. Bye.